0: We're going to continue our our fairly um, quick study through Genesis. If you might help me out, please. What was um, what's our divisions of things we've captured so far in Genesis? What's what's like the first few chapters about? All right, creation is covered in what chapters? One through f- two or three, depending on where you. Call it, right? Chapter 3 is the primary subject there is the fall of that creation. So 1 through 2 is creation. Um, uh, chapter 4 is what? Cain and Abel. So we have our first murder. Okay, what do we have in Chapter 5? Family. Family. What's the point of this chapter? It's a geology. Geologies are there for what point? Geology. It's a transition, so this is a genealogy. This will not be the only one we will see in this, this morning. We're going from Adam to Noah. Okay, and then chapter 6 is the beginning of what general narrative? The Noahic, the Noahic narrative, right? And that's going to go for a number of chapters. Now last time we spent our entire time on the first few verses of chapter 6 and talked about 2 Peter and Jude. Uh, And so we will just move on from that. The the net of that essentially is, however you take it, whether it's just uh, mankind becoming sinful by itself or there being an angelic fall here that is uh, increasing that, either way, you've got, when you get to verse 5, for example, in Genesis chapter 6, The solution to the fact that man is exceedingly corrupt basically everywhere, with the exception of one family. Kill them. A destruction. And so you've got there, starting in chapter 6, verse 9, that story. Because 1 through 8 is mostly a setup for that. You got there, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And where does the flood narrative end? It's going to end in 8, or you could say it ends in 9, depends. Like the actual flood itself is over in chapter 8. All right? And we won't read all of this because it's a lot of text, but the basic story is, as I'm sure all of you know, the basic story is, God tells Noah, "I'm going to destroy the world." essentially, well, not destroy the world. I'm going to destroy humanity and animals and birds. All right? I'm going to, just to wipe all of this out, except for you and your sons and their wives. And so animals are gathered either two by two or in groups of seven. What's the difference between the twos and the sevens? Anybody recall from the story? Oh, yeah. Clean versus unclean, right? Uh, why do you need seven? Why can't you just... What would have... Been, what would have been the problem of just gathering two of the clean animals? right there's a sacrifice at the end of that and well there goes all the clean animals because you just sacrifice them well if you have seven then you actually have enough for sacrifice and so that's going to happen there at the end and so the animals come into the ark there is a flood it rains 40 days 40 nights they're in the ark much longer than that because it takes a while for the water to abate Uh, they land uh, ultimately on the mountains of Ararat they wait there until enough of the flood subsides, you probably remember the story about how Moses, Moses, that's future, Noah is sending out birds, right? Uh, Birds, when the bird, when the the dove, if I recall correctly, uh, does not come back, Noah knows, okay. Everything's fine, we can now leave. God tells Noah that they can leave and that they do so. And so that's the flood narrative up through chapter 8. Now let's read Genesis chapter 8, starting in verse 20. And our goal for today is ultimately to get through the end of chapter 11, so we can set up ourselves for, um, well, what comes after the Noah story? What's the big one? Abram, all right? Abram, who ultimately becomes Abraham, that will dominate the story. Um, Him and his sons will dominate the rest of Genesis. And so here, Genesis chapter 8, verse 20, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. So God makes a promise at that point. Uh, this, This will be the last time that I bring a flood and ultimately destroy the earth. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so we now have... So God created the earth and God filled it with animals and then God destroyed the earth, essentially. That's the story of Noah and the flood is a decreation story. God in the creation set separated land from water, right, as a part of his creation so that living things could live on the land. He 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 undid that. As a part of the Noah story. So you should see those as sort of parallel. God made living, livable land, and then God removed livable land, and so therefore, decreation was happening. But now, the flood has subsided. God has once again established land that people can live on. And so therefore, Noah and his sons and their wives come out, and he says, now something that's obviously necessary, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He's essentially repeating the command to Adam and Eve because they have to start over. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast, this is verse 2 of chapter 9, of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything." But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. For your lifeblood I will require a reckoning from every beast, I will require it. And from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of a man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you, be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply it. So we have a number of things established here. Uh, what are, what are the, the big pieces that we see? What, what's new? Capital punishment. Capital punishment is new, right? If you kill a person, uh, and you, you, if you spill a person's lifeblood, your lifeblood ought to be spilt. What else is new? Carnivores rejoice. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. the the establishment of it's actually okay to eat all of these animals. And this is, by the way, related to the sacrificial nature of what happens here, right? We have our first sacrifice. You've got, um, you've got, for example, when, you know, Adam and Eve are clothed by skins, you, you would have had a dead animal at that point, but this is really where sacrifice is established. And in the ancient world, Israel and otherwise, uh, sacrifices, right, of bulls and whatnot is not, generally speaking, going to be a total destruction of the animal, right? In Israel and otherwise, some parts of it would be destroyed, but the meat often would be kept for either the people or often those who are running the religious ceremonies. And so, there is actually I think, a pretty clear relationship between the fact of we're establishing animal sacrifice at this point and also the eating of animals because those two tended to go together. And this is really obvious, for example, when you've got in the Old Testament the story of the Israelites, of course, eating meat. This is partially how the Levites were supported. But also, whenever you get to Corinth, right? And you get to the New Testament and Paul is talking about eating meat sacrificed to idols, all right? They, they didn't take these animals and just destroy them whole on the altars in Greece. Um, they destroyed parts, but would distribute the meat afterwards, and so people could eat it. So those things, I do think, are related. Um, continuing on. And so in verse 8, you've got essentially the continuation of God's discussion with Noah, and then you've got the promise of essentially the rainbow as a sign of that this destruction is not going to happen anymore. And so I would stop essentially the Noah narrative from 6 to 9, 17. All right. That's essentially, I think, where you're meant to stop, or at least I think is a good stopping place. So maybe not meant to. Chapter 9, verse 18, though, we do get something very important. And starting here, and I think it's really here and 10 and 11, you've got another set of stories, all right? And the purpose of these stories is essentially how do we explain the fact that a you have lots of nations all over the world speaking different nation uh, speaking different languages and two uh, how do we explain the enmity between some of them all right the language aspect of this and the spreading out is extremely overt all right if you're reading this though as an israelite in the i don't know fourth 5th century BC, you're going to see other things as well, alright? You're going to see a lot of enmity and anger in your enemies in this particular narrative. And so let's go through that. The thing that sets this up is this last half of chapter 9. The sons of Noah, who went forth from the ark, were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. Wait a minute. Stop there. Why is that important to point out, historically speaking? Because
1: Canaan is another name for the promised land.
0: Right. If you're reading this at this point, him you know, Ham is the is the father of Canaan. Okay. Interesting factoid. Right? (laughs) You're reading this as somebody in third, fourth, fifth century BC, you're thinking. Ah, the Canaanites, those people we had such problems with for a very long time, and that we were required to exterminate from the promised land. These are from the lineage of Ham. All right? And so there's definitely here some... Let's, there's some setting up. You could look at it as prophecy. You could look at it as just... When you're reading this, Jewish person, all right... Jewish reader, when you're reading this, keep in keep in mind future history. And we're going to see a lot of names that are ultimately uh, enemies as we go through these few chapters. Now, these three were the sons of Noah, and these, the people of the whole earth, were dispersed. Now, the dispersion t- actually hasn't happened yet. The, the chapters 9 and 10 talk about this dispersion. Chapter 11 turns around and is a Uh, essentially an explanation for why the dispersion happened because chapter 11 story of the tower of babel is about how they didn't disperse and god needed them to disperse and so he made it happen and so you've got an essentially an assumption of dispersion in the last half of chapter 9 and chapter 10 in the explanation for how god accomplished it in chapter 11 and so it's a it's You might think of it as backwards, or you might think of it, let's go ahead and just talk about the dispersion, dispersion, and then we will talk about how we accomplished it. And so these play together in that way. So Noah began to be a man of the soil, and we discussed this, I believe, uh, last time or the time before, he planted a vineyard. This is where, essentially, we get wine, which was why Noah's father would call him uh, the man who brings comfort. At least that's, that was our discussion and our, our assumption a few weeks ago. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, once again, point that out, Saw the nakedness of his father, and told his two brothers outside. then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backwards, and covered the nakedness of their father. their father's excuse me, their faces were turned backwards, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew that his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be' not him. Interesting. Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Okay. So, most of us know this story, right? Um, Noah, plants a vineyard, makes wine, gets drunk, is the idea here, and in that drunken sleep, Ham comes in, sees his father, goes and tells the brothers. The brothers, the other brothers, make a more appropriate response and say, we're not going to go look on our father naked, we're going to cover him up. So, they take a covering, walk backwards in, and cover up Noah. Alright? When Noah awakes, Ham... And really, the focus of the curse here is is his son Canaan, but essentially Ham and his descendants are cursed. And the curse of Ham is to be the slave of Shem. Uh, What about Japheth? What is supposed to be his relationship to Shem? He's Hmm? going to rent from him. He's going to rent from him. So he is. He is subservient, but not in the same sense that Ham is. Ham is Ham and Canaan are cursed. Shem as a younger brother is supposed to be subservient. It kind of fits. Shem, Ham, Japheth. Shem would get the the primary spot because he is the oldest. Uh, Pop quiz. Abram comes from which line? Shem. Shem. right. Shem. A Semite, that's good. That's good. A, a Shemite. A Semite. He he ultimately comes from Shem. And it is that older line, the the line of the older brother, that is going to be ultimately dominant. Alright, so that's there to basically set up alright, let's start let's start describing how essentially the line of Ham and the line of Canaan is going to be cursed. All right? Uh, you see just really the subservient part here, but as we look through chapter 10, which is the table of nations, some people call it, or my ASV has nations descended from Noah, uh, we're going to see some things where we're going we're to um, see how it's even more clear. We're setting up here At this point in Genesis, who were going to be so many of the major enemies of the people of God, thousands of years later. So, chapter 10. These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. So, why don't you do this for me? Take a minute, look at this chapter chapter. Alright, think through it and tell me, how is this arranged? Alright, I'm going to give you two minutes. Look through and describe to me the structure. Go. You probably don't even need two minutes, but... All right. Can anybody tell me at this point? The
1: genealogies
0: of each of the sons. Okay. What's the order? Youngest, youngest to oldest. Youngest to oldest. All right. Why would you do youngest to oldest here?
1: Least
0: to greatest. Least to greatest. All right. If you um, if you if you take out. Chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. You go directly to Shem. Alright, and so maybe it's because, really the focus here is on Shem and his descendants after this fact. Okay. Least or greatest, or is it that? Who knows? It's kind of hard to tell on that kind of thing. What I want to do now is I want to go through some of the descendants of Japheth. And I want you to, based on what you know about the Bible, tell me where some of these names show up later on. Later on. Alright. The sons of Japheth, Gomer. Anybody? It was the name of Hosea's wife. Uh, that's a person, not the city. Uh, Gomer was actually mentioned, along with a number of these, in a condemnation in Ezekiel 38. Uh, what about Magog? Mm-hmm. Uh, that'll also show up in Ezekiel as well, but will show up in Revelation. Uh, Madi. I'm not sure about that one. Javan, Tubal. Tu- okay. Tubal Cain, later or earlier? Tubal Cain is earlier, right? He's the one who does metalworking, right? So this would be—I mean—they're going to share names. This is actually going to be something different than Tubal Cain himself. Uh, Tubal will show up in a condemnation, same condemnation in Ezekiel thirty-eight. Uh, what about some of these others? I think we'll probably have to go read from Ezekiel thirty-eight in a minute. Meshesh also shows there, shows up there. Uh, Tiras, I don't remember it showing up anywhere. And the sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Riphtha, and Togarma. Togarma also shows up in Ezekiel 38 as part of the condemnation. Uh, the sons of Javan, Elisha, Tarshish. Now, Tarshish, certainly. You remember Tarshish, right? What's that? That was Tarsus. Tarshish. Jonah. That's right. That's where Jonah tried to flee. Now, when Jonah is supposed to go to the Syrians, which, if it's from, from like Judah, that's kind of like north and east or north. All right. He goes where? He goes west. He goes across the seas. All right. Uh, there's debate on what exactly is Tarshish, but the idea is it's some city on the Mediterranean, very far away from, from Assyria. All right. So Tarshish that will show up. And that will show up in other ways. Uh, Actually, a number of times. It shows up, as uh, often said, as rich in minerals. Whatever this place was, it was rich in minerals because it supplied Solomon. Uh, It showed up in um, uh, the Psalm 72 says that they will render tribute to the king, which if we're talking about Solomon, they did, in fact, do. Uh, It gets really sad. It wails at Tyre and Sidon's destruction in Isaiah 23 in the condemnation of them. so Tarshish will show up later not condemned though as far as I know um, just sad whenever its trading partners get destroyed. All right let's see. who else is really interesting the Katim who are the Katim I remember these people So they show up in Daniel what's that? Like Kittimites? isn't that a word? I don't know. No, like a player. I don't know. The <laughs> like Kidomites show up in Daniel, all right, and in the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls. You remember the Dead Sea Scrolls? Dead Sea Scrolls, which are uh, essentially a collection of documents from like the first to third century BC. Lots of. Uh, old Testament documents. Nothing New Testament is written. This was all before the New Testament. Lots of old te- copies of the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, our oldest copies in Hebrew. There's also a lot of other writings. And the Kittim K-I-T-T-I-M um, fit in very prominently there. They are they are the Romans in the Dead Sea Scrolls. All right. uh, don't think of these as the Romans though. This is several thousand years before the Romans existed. And so, think of the Katim as more like Mediterranean-dwelling sea folk. Think Greeks and Romans. That's, that would be the Katim at this point. Later, they'll be identified with the Romans. Okay. Uh, now, these are not major enemies. Some of them do get t- condemned. But they are not major enemies. Let's go to verse 6. Alright? The sons of Ham... Push. Ethiopia. Hmm? Ethiopia.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah. I don't think they end up being a major curse. Uh, Egypt, though, anything bad related to Egypt and the Israelites? So. Right? They are, they are major villain, all right? <laughs> major, major villain throughout from Exodus all the way for a very long time, all right? So, Egypt, Egypt, very, very bad. Um, oh, and Actually, Cush Kush does show up as an or- There is an oracle against them in Isaiah 18 and Ezekiel 30. So, never mind. The Cushites are also bad. Uh, put. If you're doing an English word study in an English Bible and look up the word put, it's incredibly hard to find anything because put, as a verb, shows up a lot in the Bible. So, I just skipped that one and gave up. Yeah, sorry. Uh, Canaan. Canaan, alright, we know we know Canaan the sons of Cush Seba, Habilah, Sabta, Rama Saptaka or Saptaka uh, some of those do show, do show up um, uh, the sons of Rama Sheba and Dedan where, where is Sheba? anybody? nope it's a part of the inheritance of Simeon. It is southeast. You'll see that in um, in Joshua 19 if you want to go take a look. So essentially south southwestern Arabia would be Sheba. I'm put
1: the NIV, go back to the, uh, Israel. It says Egypt.
0: Mizraim? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Cushites there's a number of these are actually talking about south. Um, so generally speaking a lot of of Japheth is north, think Black Sea, like north of Assyria, and then west. A lot of Ham is, well, where Israel would settle, Canaan and whatnot, and south, east and south. And so you get a lot of Egypt land, you get a lot of Arabia in these names if you go look all of them up, which... I did, um, but we won't go through all of them because I don't think you would enjoy it very much. Um, where are we? Oh yeah, so Cush father Nimrod. Now this is very fascinating, I think. Kush uh, father Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. All right, interesting. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. Interesting. Uh, which is unusual, right? This is a, like, there's lots of people mentioned here. This is the, this is the guy, It gets a quote. We all know Nimrod. Man, that guy can hunt. <laughs> Very important, though. The beginning, now he is, he is super important here, all right? And specifically to get to the point I'm trying to make about how we are, we are um, previewing the persecutors of Israel. Uh, Nimrod is important in that. Though you wouldn't quite know it here at this time. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, which is another name for Babylon. Alright? Now Babel is going to be important in the next chapter. Alright, if you know that chapter. Uh, Babylon is also important because it is, in fact, the great pers- another great persecutor of the people of God, right? The worst. The worst. All right, The one who comes and destroys Jerusalem, des- destroys the temple, takes it into captivity. All right. So that's Babel, Babylon. So Nimrod founds Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kalneh in the land of Shinar. And so these are all roughly in that area. From that land he went into Assyria and built Nineveh. What place does that have? That's where Jonah was supposed to go. Right? And the Israelites love Ninevites. <laughs> no, the Israelites hate the Ninevites because the, the Ninevites, the Assyrians, kill them. All right? That's what they do. And what, did, what part did they play in God's judgment on Israel? Yeah, they are the ones who God sent to sack and destroy the northern kingdom and take them into exile for their sin during the time of the Israelite kings. And so you've got Nimrod is the father all right of essentially the babylonians and the assyrians so he's a great hunter but his kids are bad <laughs> both ear kala uh, resin between nineveh and kala and this is the great city and so lo- a lot of those are just right there around nineveh egypt fathered ludim enenim lahabim naphthim pathrusim kasluim from whom the philistines came Philistines, another very bad set of bad guys, and Caphterine. Canaan fathered Sidon. Now Sidon, we actually I think already mentioned this trading partner of Tarsus. Uh, Sidon gets condemned in the prophets as well, and so forth and so on. Okay, well let's I mean let's just read through it. Uh, Jebusites must be purged from the land of Canaan. Amorites same Girgashites, Hivites, Arkites, Sinites, Arvidites, Zemorites and the um, Hamathites. All right? Afterwards, the Canaanites dispersed. So a number of those are ultimately enemies of the people of Israel as they try to take the land. The territory of the Canaanites extended from Sidon, Philistine city, later on, in the direction of Gerar as far as Gaza. Where's Gaza? For Samson, uh, took the but where, generally speaking? South, on the coast, close to the coast, towards Egypt. All right, So it's decided from Sidon to north to south. In the direction of Sodom, Sodom Gomorrah, okay, those are going to be problems here in just a few chapters. Adma, Zeboim, as far as Lasha. These are the sons of Ham, by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. And so you've got in here, All right, if you pay attention to the names, it's telling you a lot. All right, of what's going to come into in the future, in terms of who your enemies are going to be. Not all of them are ex- explicitly mentioned as enemies. Some of them are never mentioned again. Most of them are, interestingly enough. You would think if, in a very long time ago, you have a lot of people split up, most of those are never going to be heard again. Most of these are. They do ultimately show up later on. And then you have Shim there at the end. I don't want to go through Shim. I want to jump to... The next chapter, which is the Tower of Babel. Yes, Bill. Just a note: the the reason
1: God curses them, it's not completely arbitrary, right? He curses them because they sin.
0: Are you talking about the um, uh, Ham specifically, or are you talking about the descendants of Ham or the Israelites? Yes, yes. yes. Um, God's curses are never arbitrary. All right? God's curses are because of things that people do. All right? Ham was cursed because he sinned. All right, And it affects his descendants. Does, do your sins affect your children? Your sins do affect your children sometimes. All right? um, same here. And this would also be true really throughout all of God's dealings with man. God only curses because of man's sin and so nine, half of 9 through the end of 10 is essentially describing all right, how the nations broke out and sort of telegraphing into the future who are the enemies going to be chapter 11 now let's back up all right, and explain how this split up happened because those names basically that covers the Mediterranean Up through the Black Sea, all the way through the whole Middle East, and down into northern Africa. So this is a very large piece of land that is men's, you know, and and their descendants spreading out. Um, That didn't happen until chapter 11, Tower of Babel. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, so this would be Babylon, and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they made brick for stone, bitumen for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the place, over the face of the whole earth." Alright, so what's their, what's their problem? Part of it's pride, alright, uh, but that's ultimately, uh, that, is a, that is something that God solves here. Uh, but that's not the main problem, alright. The main problem here is they are not obeying the command, which is to disperse, alright, which is to disperse and basically subjugate the earth in the name of God, alright. They're supposed to subdue and cultivate the earth in the name of God. They're instead saying, no, We are going to settle here and build a big city and make towers and make a name for ourselves. Verse 5, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. I mean, if they can work together and they can do all these great things, they can just build up a big empire right here. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Uh, when we, I, think, I assume our English word Babel comes from this, right? I would assume so. Uh, babel essentially means to be confused. all right. And so, therefore they named the city Babel because confusion because that's where they were all confused and they could no longer work together and so therefore they dispersed all right and so the Tower of Babel explains okay how did this big dispersion happen where ultimately all this enmity and wars ultimately came from um, not per se because of the dispersion dispersion, but because essentially of the evil of man yes Chip this
1: this area that
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a source of all the languages over there. If you look,
1: if you even study a foreign language, you're going to look at the European Indo-European language tree, mm-hmm. which is called that precisely because of this.
0: And way out on a limb, you'll find English on the Germanic branch. Yeah. But there doesn't seem to be any indication here which people spread east for uh, the Oriental and uh, Indo-European. That's
1: right. So the southern Asian
0: continent. Yeah, there's nothing here about this. Of
1: their languages as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, it also doesn't talk about Russia. It doesn't talk about southern Africa. This is essentially going to be limited in its place names. Well, Russia would to be under the Slavic. Sure. But this is going to be related to groups that specifically relate to Israel, in some way, historically speaking. Yeah. Right? And so the, the the Chinese never play a part in... You know God's judgment against Israel, or fighting them, or anything like that. So this is really very. This is Israel-focused, right? This is a this is the story of Israel in a book, and so therefore the the nations um, are going to be really focused on that. And it's and I think if you if you read chapter ten the way I think we should read it, um, we shouldn't read it as here is a generic history of the entire world. This really is very Israel-focused. All right. very Israel focused, and you see that because of their enemies are laid out on the map and, and said if you're reading, like I said later on, you're going to look at this and go yeah, Ham was cursed, right? Look at all the problems we had with Ham and his all of his descendants, uh, which from here, you would know Ham was cursed but you wouldn't know the extent of it in the future.
1: So the- Verse nine, from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Mm-hmm. Whole earth still would still have a limited
0: meaning. I, I I think essentially so. And I mean this would be I mean in the explanation here, this would be the description really how of the whole earth, because language barrier has been and always will be. A, place, a way of con, a source of conflict between peoples sometimes right, and i don 't think this is trying to say tyro Babel happened, boom, everybody spread out like immediately i don 't think that 's the idea um, i don 't think this I think is fine in terms of a support of a still a gradual spread of humanity because they 're going to start spreading out and spreading out and spreading out. Um, this is the source of the spread over the whole earth. But it's not, I don't think, going as far as saying China was settled at this point. I don't think that's the point. I think it's just a... And then, over time, that same factor of different families, different languages, different cultures create clashes which cause people to move. Lots of people in in history have moved because they were seeking safer places. And so, sometimes they want more food, so they go for different places. Sometimes... They move because of pressures, because someone's trying to kill them, and so they migrate as a people elsewhere. That totally happens in history. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm assuming, too, that you know, earlier in the study, the, what earth can often be translated as land. Mm-hmm.
1: That's right. Um, another thing, just to comment, whenever I was studying this one time, I remember from a commentator... Uh, I don't know exactly how you support this but if you think about Hebrews 11 this is like anti-faith because mm-hmm. they're told yeah. humanity is, is told this rainbow is a promise I'm not going to ever destroy the, the earth again by a flood well what's the response well, let's build a tower so if there's a bunch of water we can get up high and so it, it was, a, it was mm-hmm. the commentator was like it's, this is anti-faith this is not, not believing God
0: you know, that's a good point. I didn't think of that connection, but that makes a lot of sense. I mean, if you're going to do that, you should totally build that tower on top of a mountain. Then you're really high. Um, but yeah, that's a good connection. Um, okay, so the very last part, and then we'll essentially be done, is you now go back to Shem in chapter 11, verses 10, verse 10. And you have Shem, and he fathered, are Pakshad, and so on. And if you go down to verse 26, you get when Terah, and he's a descendant of Shem, had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And then you have a little block discussing Terah. Because essentially Terah, being the father of Abram, becomes very important. Because you not only set up Abram here, you also set up Lot. Because Lot is Abram's nephew. Right? And so it's, it's Lot and Abram play a very important part in the next few chapters. And so all of that is set up here until chapter 12, verse 1. And the Lord said to Abram, go from your country. All right. He takes Lot with him. And there goes the rest of the story. And so that's essentially. All right. So 11 is broken up into two pieces. All right. Uh, if you just say 11.1 using software talk, In 11.2. 11.1 is Babel itself, and then, once again, a genealogy. The genealogies are super important here at the beginning of Genesis. They lead you essentially from Adam all the way to Noah to set up that story. And then here, you've got essentially two discussions, all right? You've got one important one, which is Shem to Abram, so you can make that connection. But you've also got that Table of Nations one that is basically tying the curse of Ham to Israel's future enemies. So, you know, genealogy is super important here. We we often tend to... you know, we might want to read over them and, and move very quickly. But for them, this is theologically super important um, in this particular case. All right, that's it for today. Uh, any thoughts, questions? Yes.
1: You kind of lose sight of that. As Israel is fighting all its enemies, they're all, they're all relatives. Yeah. David, too. A lot of his problems are people in his own family. Mm-hmm. You know people that he puts in charge it's like his uncle his brother-in-law is, you know,
0: it's, it's, a, it's a huge family mess it is yeah all throughout their history Edom mm-hmm. right Joseph I recall has problems with his brothers mm-hmm. that's part of that story so yeah Families, well, and yeah.
1: Too, with Samaria, right? yeah, relatives. You know, you start to get more distant, but still.
0: Mhm. Right. The, the Northern Kingdom would be more closer kin than Edom would be, for example. And I don't know. Is that why they were so bitter against them? Because they were closer kin, and in their minds, right, were were worse off because they rejected God being closer kin. Yeah, lots of bitter bitter family rivals here. And,
1: more mm-hmm. Well, no, I'm just thinking that, that that's, if we needed more proof, your genealogy doesn't mean God's pleased with you.
0: Yeah. And what Bill's talking about, right, in in terms of... Who does who does who does God love? What is God's love based on? Right? Is God's love and devotion to you based on your physical genealogy? No, it is not. Right? Um, would people ever have reason to think that? Well, like the Jews of Jesus' time, certainly did think that. Right? Why? Because they were children of Abraham, ultimately, uh, physically speaking. Right? Uh, Jesus calls them children of Satan. Um, But physically speaking, they were children of Abraham. And as we'll see, Abraham is God's portion. God picks Abraham and said, I'm going to make you a great nation. You're going to be my nation. And so later on, it's very easy for people to confuse, I'm of Abraham's nation, therefore God will bless me. When really God's blessing and cursing is not dependent on whose child you are. All right, physically speaking, for sure it's not, it's not bloodline, it's bloodline, not faith line good way of saying it, okay, let's be complete then, let's pray, and then uh we fellowship a little bit, and then we'll go next door.
1: Okay?
0: God, help us today. Bless us in everything we do. Give us wisdom and grace. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.